Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome to another flashback. Our story this week takes us back to December 16th, 2016, to experience an occurrence that maybe strikes a little close to home. A plague sweeping across the globe, leaving devastation in its wake. A vicious disease that, I have to admit, is even more terrifying in its effects and symptoms than the one we're currently battling. So, without further rambling from me, Terence Kuch's Blood Mist, which originally aired on episode 255, December 16th, 2016.
Some in those first days blamed our plague on the star, really just a comet, that by midsummer's day blazed above us brighter than the sun at noon. Many called the star a message from God. Who am I to dispute them, confirmed unbeliever that I am? Others said it would crash into the earth and destroy us all. But that did not happen. The star passed us by, perhaps to return some day, if any remain living then. The last day the star was visible to the naked eye was the day before the bloody plague came to us. Of course, the hordes beyond our shores were blamed for this most terrible pestilence. When our troops entered the alien lands, they found nothing but the dead. And then some blamed the Chinese. Our government sent a small armada to discern the truth, but after a few weeks word came back that there were no more Chinese. And then we did not know who to blame, who to attack. But the royal physician said no, our affliction was natural, not something brewed in a laboratory. By that time, our plague had acquired a name, the blood mist it was called, from the last sight the afflicted had, often of their wives or husbands or children seen through eyes misting in blood, and often tears also. Our troops and our ships returned to a grand military band march past, their mission complete. Without intention, they spread the plague among us even more. Sometime after infection, those who had caught the illness began to bleed from every pore until there was nothing left but a husk. From the first drop of blood to the last, this final phase took no more than four to eight hours, less in some mammals such as children, even less time for those still in the womb, their blood pouring forth from the mother before her own body had shown any signs. The blood mist had claimed its first victim here in the city on August 14th. By September, many had already died, blood suddenly gushing from them, first from their eyes, stumbling forward, not able to see their own feet through the red mist. Friends and lovers screaming running away from them, as had happened to many of my own acquaintances. I had run from them too, even from my own son William as he held out his arms, blood running down his face. But more of William later. My brother Albert too. Now, everyone kept away from each other. Maintain a distance of at least twenty feet and avert your breath, the authorities had announced, when there were still authorities. Now, it had been a commonplace belief amongst a certain kind of philosopher that if society were to break down, we would all revert to the brutish nature of our origin, rape and bludgeon and disembowel, as we had been too polite to do for the all-too-brief centuries of civilization. But that's not what happened for which I credit the sudden awfulness of the affliction. To bludgeon another, one must approach, and no one dared approach. Few indeed were in the streets. Most of those who showed themselves seemed to be in search of food, but all too often they came to the public square to confess robberies, adultery, or some trivial misdeed, itemising their sins in a loud voice and calling upon God for healing. Many were the promises made or vows vowed, and many were those self-accused of mortal sins who died in their tracks, their last confessions drowned in blood. My business partner, Harrison, found me at the corner of the high street, accosted me in a wheedling voice, pleaded that I should kneel with him on the pavement and ask forgiveness for the thieveries and frauds we had perpetrated in the name of Canaan Harrison, commodities traders. 
He had always seemed a steady type, a scoffer and reprobate. But it appeared that he now caught the goddish enthusiasm. I dodged him that time, but there were many others like him. I would have bashed in their God-fearing skulls, but I feared the splatter from those so diseased. In any case, my firm had been idled by the raging of the plague, and we were now out of business. And so I had leisure to plan my travel, my long postponed final act. I promised my brother Albert I'd see him again, one last time. I made that promise a long time ago, and I'd been putting it off. Putting off making the trip west, even though he and Hélène lived less than a hundred miles from the city, in the small town in the hills. I hadn't seen them since they'd moved out of the city years ago. I hadn't gone to him before, not quite knowing what would happen. Yes, I did know what would happen. I suppose I'd been concerned that there'd be troubles for me arising from a visit to Albert. Police would surely be involved. I would be detained, and worse. But now, with the collapse of civil order, I realised there would be no trouble. Not that kind of trouble, at least. And the possibility of my catching the blood mist, and then never being able to keep my promise, lent urgency to the matter. But now that the roads might be clogged with fleeing city folk, I needed to assess the possibilities of travel. Taking care to keep my distance from all others, I walked out to the city gates and struck up conversation with those coming in. Some of them had tried to quit the city and been turned back at the barricades by soldiers who were attempting to stop the spread of the plague. So I was frustrated in my desire to see Albert at the time. A week later, I went to the gate again. and This time, travellers reported that the soldiers were gone, but the barricades were now manned by civilians. Seemed to be country people, one said to me, keeping unwashed heathens such as us away from their farms. He laughed, shrugged and sat down on the curb. And the next morning I came back to the gate again and saw him still sitting there. But he was dead. I turned towards home, thinking that in another week even the locals might be gone and I could proceed without hindrance. On the way, I noticed people looking at me strangely, stepping away. Now, we were all afraid of each other by that time, but this much avoidance was unusual. I became nervous and hurried through the streets head down. As ill luck would have it, I ran into my old partner Harrison again. He was even further gone than before, rushing up to me and attempting to kiss me on the mouth, jabbering about God's will. All must die so all may be redeemed, and so on. I dodged away from him, spat out the contents of my mouth, in consideration of our long business relationship, I gave him a smile and begged off as kindly as I could. But I saw his eyes take notice of my forehead. He backed away, raising his hands as if to ward me off. As soon as I arrived home, I looked at myself in the mirror. My God, there was a large red blotch right in the middle of my forehead. This was not, as far as I knew, a mark of the blood mist. Still, any unusual appearance was deeply troubling to the people. Many innocent persons sick of some temporary ill had been shut up or killed outright, protesting the while that it was not the mist they had, but only a cold or food poisoning or catarrh. One wretch had gone so far as to hang a sign around his neck, proclaiming, I have the pox, otherwise a disgusting and fearful malady, now innocent in relation to the condition he might have instead. I attempted to employ a medicinal powder to disguise the blotch, 
and as I was doing so, I heard the dreadful nails being pounded into my front door, the door frame, and then the back door. The boards being nailed over the two ground floor windows, large enough to crawl through. The house darkened. Harrison must have turned me into the mob. So much for the bonds of commerce. Among the cruelest events of the season, as I must now relate, was the practice of nailing up the doors and windows of the houses of the sick of the blood mist, or those thought to be sick, with the residents inside. A mob would descend on a dwelling, calling out, Is Jacob the tailor inside this place? Or, We must confine the Cordwainder family to their home, for they are deathly ill. And those police, who had not been police the week before, but idlers and knockabouts, would paint on the doors a black cross and keep watch and kill any who attempted to go in or out, being careful that no blood should splatter on a passerby. A nice and thoughtful touch. A few homes may have held sufficient provisions that the residents could survive, but it was not a common practice to keep large stores of food in the house. And so those poor wretches who had been secured, so the mob called it, were sure to be reduced to starvation, cannibalism or suicide. These mobs had not been set upon the innocent by authority, for every man was now his own authority, and the selection of victims for all I could see had been made by some who had a particular dislike for the cord waners, or Jacob the tailor, and so on, or owed them money. Not that they had any certain knowledge that these people had been stricken by the plague. My son William, who'd been sleeping, came downstairs to inquire about the noise. I had to tell him the bad news. Have you any food? he asked. No. You should have bought food in the store. Yes, you're right, I said. But I've been planning to leave for the West, you know, to see Albert and... He glared at me. I looked down at the floor and then put on a bright face. The roof, I said. There are pigeons, perhaps starlings as well. We could... With what? I had to admit that we had no nets or poles or anything in the house suitable for catching or killing birds. Well then, he said, I'll just have to catch bugs for my supper. He slammed the hall door and went upstairs. I was too distraught to search for anything to eat then, and fell asleep there in the drawing room. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Later, I don't know how much later, but it must have been several hours, I awoke and went upstairs to my bedroom. In the hall, I saw a trail of blood, just a few drops. Had William found an animal to kill and eat? Or, and here I was seized with terror, had he taken a knife to his own throat? I hurried down the hall and opened William's bedroom door. There he stood, naked, his entire body shedding blood from every pore. His mouth, as he opened it to speak, belched forth a torrent of it. The red pool around his feet was growing by the second, spreading, approaching me. Father, he cried. I could see the red mist, the bloody mist, clouding his eyes. I was overwhelmed and couldn't speak. Father, he cried again, help me. He held out his arms. With a strangled cry, I turned and ran from the room, slammed the bedroom door from the outside. William hit it hard with his shoulder, and I pushed a heavy chair against it. I could hear his hands beating on the door, his calls of, Father, Father. I knew that a single chair would not hold him for long. I ran down the hall, gathering up whatever odds of furniture I could find and pushing them against William's bedroom door, which was shaking the knob twisting futilely as the pool of blood crept out into the hall. William was strong, and I hadn't enough furniture nearby to keep him in his room for more than a few minutes. I fled towards the window at the far end of the hall, opened it, and crawled out onto the narrow ledge. The two guards were below, casually eyeing my front door and the ground-floor windows they had sealed up. I almost fell to the pavement, but regained my balance and climbed up a drainpipe towards the roof. Now, I'm no ape or athlete, and I thought several times that I'd lose my hold and fall, but finally I gained the roof. I could hear from below that William had escaped his room and was now at the window I'd exited from. He suddenly stuck his head out and looked up at me with a most piteous expression. Father, he said quietly, with a mad gleam in his eye, did you find anything to eat? My mouth opened in astonishment. William looked at me again and simply said, Father? The blood running from his mouth increased in volume. When he attempted to speak again, I could make out no words. As I pulled back from the edge of the roof, I heard sounds that might have been, I love you, or they might have been something else. In brief, I managed to cross the roof of the adjoining house, and then the next one, painfully skinning myself several times, and ascended through someone's home as quietly as possible hearing loud voices as near as though through a curtain. But I arrived on the street and went again to the city gate, determined this time to leave on my journey immediately, or give it up forever. As I still had the medicinal powder on my forehead, 
I escaped any special notice. I had no money, but money seemed worthless, and I would have no food other than what my wits might provide me. As I was standing at the city gate, I heard in the distance the sound of a train. It had never occurred to me that the trains might still be running, and it was a wonder. I ran the several blocks to the station, just as a train was pulling in from the direction of the eastern quarters of the city, where the poorest wretches lived. So ran, I developed a plan to take the train as far west as I could, and then to make my way to Albert's house by whatever means I could find, on foot if necessary. But arriving at the terminal, I found a great mass of people waiting to board, clamouring and shoving. A pitiful few railroad staff had gathered by the tracks, trying to keep order. Three railroad officials bravely faced the crowd, two of them bearing firearms. The train pulled to a stop. The crowd would have overrun them in their search for sanctuary. But then the train doors opened and out poured the wretched of the earth in their rags. Men and women, children, all of them bleeding profusely from every part of their heads and bodies, stumbling out, crying for mercy, calling upon God to heal them, or at least to smite those other fellows who had shown them no mercy in their rush to leave the train. The well-dressed mob that had sought so energetically to board the train now retreated in horror and ran away, trampling many of their fellows, and as those from the train groped their way to who knows where, they bled and stumbled, lay down and died by the hundreds. I had been standing beside a pillar that I clutched fiercely, and so had not been trampled, and from that vantage I saw the whole ghastly incident. Knowing that the train would be of no more use to me, infected and showing no signs of proceeding west in any case, I returned to the city gate and walked through it, into the countryside. Now, it had to be now, the journey of a hundred miles had begun. There is not much to say about my journey that you could not imagine for yourself. I was in fit condition and the roads were almost deserted, or peopled only by the dead. As it was autumn, I fed on grain from the fields, which gave me stomach cramps, for I had no way to grind or cook. I expected to make twenty miles each day, but there were sentries and farmers with guns and vicious dogs and high ridges to cross and so on. I spent most days hiding in hay racks or ditches, waiting for sundown and the shadow of concealment. I was willing to work and occasionally put in a day's labour in the fields for a plate of poor food. But as I was a city man, not knowing how to farm, I had to be told what to do at every turn. And so I was not invited back for a second day of labour, but told to move on. Once I encountered a group gathered round a fire in the fields. They cast brands at me, shouted imprecations. I called to them, I'm not ill of the blood mist. But they shouted back, We know you. You are one of those cursed by God. I had no idea at the time what they meant. One arose from by the fire, a woman, and moved towards me. Your mark, she said. That is how we know you. Blood spouted from her face. No one will comfort you, you know, not even the dead. We ran. In my agitation at the boarding up of my house, I had not thought to put any of the medicinal powder in my pockets. I had no way to obscure the mark on my head. Another time, I came upon an encampment of soldiers, but dressed in the military garb of another century, and bearing antique weapons. And they themselves were hoary with age, 
They stood their ground and would not let me pass, saying, This is the stone bridge. We will guard it as our grandfathers did long ago. But I perceived that their barrier was a sham. Their colours and standards faded. Their weapons rusted. And I pushed past them. Several aimed their weapons at me, but these would not fire. Others tried to rally their horses, but there were no horses. As I left them behind, I saw them sit down on the bridge, lowering themselves cautiously and weep. All this time, I was aware of the mark on my forehead. At each creak, or finding a discarded piece of shiny tin, I viewed my face, and there saw it reflected. It felt warm, comforting. I was growing fond of it. The mark was not on me, it was in me. After a fashion, it was me. Once, asleep in the fields, I dreamt I'd lost my mark, and woke in panic, inconsolable until daylight, and a stray piece of shiny metal let me behold it once more. In the event, it took me three weeks to reach the village of Bellington, where Albert practised as the town's taxidermist. Bellington had no town gate as such, but in the little canyon that served as the entrance to the place, people had piled tables and beds and wagons and whatnot, allowing entrance to only one person or one horse at a time, and that defile was guarded by townsmen with firearms, clubs and pitchforks. There seemed to be no way around, and only this way in. I was ordered to halt some thirty yards from the barrier, and so had to shout back and forth with the guard. I identified myself, said I was a friend of Albert's, I lied, and that he had offered me refuge if I could survive a journey from the capital. I lied again. So they sent a young boy to Albert's house to ascertain the truth. I was pretty sure that Albert would have them admit me, for we had much to speak of, he and I, and Helene, about what had happened those years ago, about my promise. In due course, the boy returned and said, let him in. The guards examined me as closely as they could as I came forward, noting the mark on my forehead, now plainer to see than ever. They discussed it amongst themselves, nodding towards me swearing and spitting on the ground for emphasis. At last a physician was called, who told them that my mark, whatever it might portend, was no sign of the blood mist, and so I was admitted. The little town straggled on for several blocks, a single street owing to the acute slope of the hills on either side. I was not surprised to see many houses empty, doors swinging on their hinges, but at least the dead were not lying in the street as they were in the capital. The place had been kept neat, and a few people still on the street appeared to be adequately fed. A quarter mile in, a house stood on my right that must be Albert's. Over the door was the stuffed corpse of a deer, bedraggled and rotting, and above each window a large bird, an owl, an eagle, an osprey. Most of their feathers were gone. As I approached the door, it opened. Helen stood in the doorway. She had put a beaded shawl over her shoulders, and her hair was done up in a bun, a few wisps fluttering on either side. I hadn't seen her since her hair had been lustrous, and now it was grey. But to me she was still more beautiful than ever. Hello, Thomas, she said, with barely a glance at my forehead. Come in. Why did you tell them to let me into the town? She shrugged. It doesn't matter. You know why I'm here. A fact, not a question. Yes, she said. I told Albert, yes, I was there. 
that I'd kill him if I ever saw him again. I heard you swear it. And then you know, come on in. She led me down a hall, past several closed doors. Chemical smells came from each room, a bouquet of death. Behind her, I drew a knife from my belt. Finally opening a door, she said, This is Albert's room, and mine. I walked into the room. Albert was lying in bed, on his back, his hands peacefully clasped. The entire bed was soaked in blood, which was still issuing from his mouth and eyes. I'm too late, I cried. I stared at the body, turned around and looked at Hélène, who said nothing. This isn't right. I am supposed to kill him. I strode over to Albert's bed, and Hélène's bed too. I could sense where the two of them had lain since Albert had stolen her from me so many years ago. I plunged my knife into Albert's dead face again and again. The mark on my forehead, the mark of Cain, as I began to think of it after a Christian had called it that, throbbed painfully. Hélène interrupted me. It doesn't matter, she said. He's gone since yesterday. I have made my peace with it and with the death of so many others here. The thing on the bed is no longer my Albert. I said I'd kill him. My voice shook and my hands. I'm glad you didn't have the chance. The star has kept you from murder. She approached me, put her arms around me, not in a romantic way, but as a kind of forgiveness. I clung to her. And our son William is dead too, I said softly. Back in the capital, if he was my son. Hélène said nothing, shuddered in my arms. And now my brother Albert. Droplets of blood formed and pooled at our feet. At first, I thought the blood was hers. That was Terence Kuch's Blood Mist, is read by Alex Winley. If you'd like to hear the story in context of the full episode, or want more details about the author or narrator, you can find the link to the original episode in the show notes. And until next time, children of the night, stay safe and stay sane. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.